So many, 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 many precious memories. You know, everyone that spoke yesterday. And by the way, huge, huge kudos. I was thinking this all during the service yesterday. Huge kudos to this church and your leadership. What an incredible, incredible job you did yesterday. Giving our friend Ronnie Abbott a great send-off. Praise God. Amen. This church has always been an outstanding church. Always been an outstanding church. But yesterday, you really put that on display for really the whole world. And probably there were people from all over the world that were watching yesterday and participating from afar. And uh, so thank you for that. But so many precious memories. Every person that spoke yesterday, well, first of all, uh, there were, you know, four times as many people probably that wish they could speak than what did speak. And, and yet you, you had so many speakers and so many facets that everyone brought their own little personal view. And really their view, each one of them is just a vignette. Um, I, I was blessed to just kind of, you know, be last to sort of like sum up things because it's so awesome. I just jotted down some thoughts and notes and memories. And, and as the day wore on, I just kept crossing out and crossing out. Because different people covered that. They gave that memory. They gave that thought. But there's no reason for a lot of duplication here. But it just so shows the fullness of life in, in Ron Abbott. And that everyone standing in this church building and, and many more beyond this church building had such a close personal relationship with him. And you have your own story. When I say your own story, I mean your own personal story that no one else shares exactly like, like you have that experience and relationship and and that just is you know little elements that all added together make for an incredible individual that God graced to walk on this earth and graced each one of us to have a special relationship with him and uh, so I'm just so grateful to God I'm so grateful to the family of God and and just all these memories and uh, you know to be honest um, I, I know I'm not politically correct probably most of the time and I'm not psychologically correct most of the time. I took psychology courses and classes and all of that all through college and, uh, and decided, you know, I mean, I got mostly A's, but I, I thought at the end of the day, most of this stuff is junk. This is like just like psychobabble here. And, uh, and, and the longer I've lived, the more I've realized I was right. Most of that stuff was junk. It was, it was psychobabble. But, uh, but I know it goes against the grain, but, you know, one way I deal with things and cope with things is I, I try to not deal with it all at once. And so I, I just try to take it piece by piece and day by day and compartmentalize things, and that's just kind of how I cope. And I know psychologists, they say, don't do that. Just lay it all out on the table. Well, yeah, I see them committing suicide left and right, too. So I'm thinking, okay, I don't know that that's the right way to go about it. But memories just keep flooding every day. They keep flooding. And, and I thought uh, I heard your pastor tell the story about, I think, his first encounter with Uncle Ronnie's farm and having to hold a pig while they were doing special surgery to it. And, uh, and I think that he couldn't uh, complete his role in that surgery and had to hand it off to his future wife. And uh, she grew up in that environment, so she was able to, to withstand that interesting experience. And, and as you talked, I thought, you know what, I had the same experience. I remember going out, being called up by Ronnie Abbott late in the night to go because uh, pigs were having babies and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, well, this is interesting, you know. And, uh, and then the next thing I know, he's saying, here, hold this thing. And uh, I didn't even know, you know, transgender pigs, that preceded transgender people. I learned that that night. It's amazing. He just was like turning, uh, you know, one gender to another. And, and uh, 
just some interesting experiences here that we had. With, and uh, I mean, we've all got these memories and these stories, and, and it's just incredible. Half the people wouldn't believe half the stuff we told them uh, unless they knew the Ron Abbott that we know. Praise God. And uh, I'm pulling a Ron Abbott right now. But your, your usher says, hey, that Brother Abbott would be proud of you. And uh, I need a little charge in my car. And the only way to get to the plug was to kind of come up on the sidewalk. But the curb was too high. And they ran, got some boards, and they made a ramp. And we drove up that board ramp. We got plugged in. And we did it Ron Abbott style. Praise God. So amen. What a, what a great church. What a great family. What a great history. And, and I'm going to get right into the word now. But I... I uh, thank you for inviting us to stay over the weekend. We're happy to do that and to preach in this pulpit. Such, such an honor to stand here in, in Ron Abbott's pulpit and your pastor, Mickey Grogan's pulpit. And before this great church, we love you all. We know a lot of you. We're closer to people in this church than, than most churches that are not our own church because so many years and experiences we've been together. And so there's a special bond there. And uh, thank you, Brother Coopley, for an amazing uh, just practical and timely and personal uh, word this morning to this congregation and a comfort and an incredible song by you and your wife. And uh, if you didn't pick up on it, again, Pastor Coopley and his wife both lost their spouses probably within a year or two of each other. Uh, they both lost their spouses to cancer. And so they have, they have gone through great loss, but they're standing here as a testimony that you can face the most trying circumstances in life when it seems like physically you just can't get through it. There's no way through it. But with God, you can. He, you can. You can walk through that valley of the shadow of death, and he doesn't leave you in that valley. You do have to go through it. You can't avoid it. You can't bypass it. you got to go through it. There's a time of grieving, and, and we grieve like other people grieve. But but we're not alone. There's one holding our hand, and he's leading us somewhere, and we're not going to stay in that valley. He's leading us out of that valley. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. So I'm thankful tonight to stand here because I came to this weekend having no idea what I would preach. I just said, God, just speak to my heart and give me a word. And, uh, and, and, and this morning he did. While Pastor Coopley was preaching, boom, God gave me a word. And if you saw me on my device, I'm not texting, I'm not surfing social media, I promise. I'm looking at scriptures, I'm writing notes, that's what I'm doing. Okay, so I've got a word tonight that uh, I love as a preacher to stand with confidence, knowing you have a word for the Lord for the moment, for the audience. You, you might think that preachers always have that. That's not actually true, and, and, uh, but, uh, but this time we do. So I want you to turn in your Bibles. I'm going to preach to you throughout this entire message from a particular chapter of the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles and you just want to keep it open to that chapter, it would be great because I'll keep referring back to it. Genesis chapter 26. And I'm going to start just with one verse as my text. And again, we'll come back to this again and again and, and read some more of the verses as we preach here tonight. Genesis chapter 26. And uh, now don't worry about how long I'm going to preach. I don't know how long I'm going to preach I'm plugged in to charge my car, so I'm watching, and when it's charged, I know I can quit preaching. I'll have enough charge to get home, so uh, just pray the power doesn't go out. Or we, what, oh, four hours, okay. Just teasing. Partially just teasing. All right, Genesis. Genesis. We're having too much fun here already tonight. Genesis chapter 26. I want to read the first verse to you, and then we will pray, and we'll be seated. Genesis chapter 26 and verse number 1. And there was a famine in the land 
beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And the Lord gave me a word for Abundant Life Center Church and each individual member and each person, whether you're a member or not, that's here in this gathering or in our extended uh, even online audience. I've got a word from the Lord for you tonight. I've got a word from the Lord for you tonight. It's going to answer your question of where do we go from here. It's going to answer your question of what do we do in times like these. How many know Pastor Abbott's passing aside, though it's part of this, but even putting that aside, how many know we're living in perilous times? We're living in uncertain times. We are. I've got a word for you tonight from the Lord. It is the answer that some of you that some of you are looking for and that we all need. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being our God, our Savior, our closest friend. I thank you, God, for your strength, your power, your spirit. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for comforting us. Thank you for helping us in times like these. Thank you, God, for this great weekend, Lord, a landmark weekend in the history of Abundant Life Center and all the people's lives who are affected by it. I thank you, God, that I can stand here with, with, with your word and, and with the voice, God, to, to give voice to your word. And I pray, God, you will give all of us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church right now at this hour. I pray in Jesus' name that we'll be hearers, not, not hearers only, but that we'll be doers also, Lord, of your word. Thank you, God, for these words fitly spoken. Thank you for speaking to our hearts tonight. Thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl that's listening to your word, Christ. And we know by it we receive faith, Lord. Enough faith, God, that we can please you. We can go another day. We can go another week. We can go a lifetime until we have an eternal life with you forever. We long for that. We're looking for that day. We are watching and waiting for your soon appearing. And while we're doing that, help us to continue to prepare ourselves, God. We know you're coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. Lord God, we want to be part of that church and the bride of Christ. That's our ultimate desire. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone that feels and knows that God's in the house, would you say amen? Praise God. Let's give the Lord Jesus one more great loud hand praise of adoration. I thank you, Lord. You're awesome, God. You're glorious. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right, I'm going to do something right now that's going to get me killed, so just push pause on my sermon. But I'm going to ask my wife to testify. She's the most reluctant speaker in the room. But when I asked her in front of an audience, she can't hardly say no. She has to kind of... Say, okay, but I'm going to run the mic to her so she doesn't have to come up here in front of everybody, but I, I want her to say a word. This is my wife, Rosa, of 40, almost three years. Praise the Lord, church. Like he said, I am not a speaker, but um, I have lots of memories lots of memories. Um, they go back to H Street, is that where it was? And I can remember as a young um, evangelist's wife, we had many um, revivals at your church, and a lot of them were for the young people. And 
several times I know that we've taken care of the church, but um, it's been said throughout this weekend, Brother Sister Abbott built this church on young people. I've been in their home, I've seen their lives, and the heartbeat was young people. And I can remember many times going with her shopping. She was buying something for a young person that needed something to wear to come to church. And as a young evangelist's wife, I can remember one of the revivals I was here. And um, as an evangelist's wife, way back then, you live from paycheck to paycheck. And I can remember coming here and her and Brother Abbott would treat us royal. I learned a lot from her because she was a little bit older than me. I learned because... I watched her. Um, I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal home, so my examples were my husband's mother, and I watched people, and that's really where I got a lot of my training. A lot of my training, as far as being a hostess, I can tell you right now, I know I'm supposed to be speaking about Brother Abbott, but I think a lot has been spoken about him, and I love him dearly, but I want to talk about your pastor's wife, because she's the hostess with the mostest. I learned a lot from her of how to entertain, how to love people, how to treat people. And um, I know this, this past weekend, I just want to commend this church. Um, just walking in the doors to see a lot of memories. Um, and you are a great church because you had a great pastor. Not because he was just tall. He had a big heart that loved big and I'm just so thankful that there are great friends, and I know you're going to miss him, but I know through of what I'm seeing here in all this church that his life and his legacy is going to be lived through you. We're so thankful for Brother and Sister Grogan and what they're doing in this church, and I'm glad to be a part of this service tonight, and I want to say I love my friend. She's my dear friend, and she's going to be in my prayers. It's not an easy road that she's going to have, but you know what? She's got a great church that's going to love her, and we love Abundant Life Center. God bless you tonight. Amen. It's also good to see Brother Arden Philpot here. And I mention him specifically because, as I mentioned yesterday, when we uh, stayed here and revival turned into just sort of keeping the church for a couple of few weeks while the abbots were in the Philippines on that AYC trip, and Stephanie received the Holy Ghost during that time that they were gone, I believe that's also the time that Arden came to the church, I remember, and really praying through and committing his life to God and changing the direction in his life. So just a lot of memories here that go back a long, long Long ways. Amen. Amen. I'm preaching today from Genesis chapter 26 and verse number 1. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. That is from Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, written in 1859 about London and Paris, precursor to the French Revolution. But it's amazing how, as I read that, 
I could have been reading that from an author writing it today in the year 2020. It seems such an apt description of our day. The worst of times, the best of times. The year 2020 began with such promise. I mean, who could not be filled with hope about the year 2020? So many people undoubtedly began their year with the theme, maybe churches even putting it on the wall, the year of vision, 2020 vision. We began praying this year, beginning this year, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Churches all over America and around the world have prayed this prayer weekly. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God said, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. But nobody foresaw coming into the year 2020. No one had the vision or the foresight to realize that God would be saying, okay, if you want to pray 2 Chronicles 7.14, then you've got to first experience 2 Chronicles 7.13. Indeed, I would dare say that most people that have read 2 Chronicles 7.14 or prayed that prayer or referenced it really have not read or considered at least 2 Chronicles 7.13. But the preceding verse, verse 13, he said this, If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. 2020 opened with exactly a fulfillment of 2 Chronicles 7.13. Australia on fire blazed the headlines because they've had drought, the mother of all droughts. Africa flooded with locusts. Billions upon billions of locusts flooding Africa. Chinese pestilence that has become a world pandemic that the President of the United States of America has recently taken to calling a plague after the biblical word. Church doors being shut. Amazing. We never would have dreamed coming into this year that I would be involved in a national case. Didn't start out to be that way. I was asked to join as an evangelical bishop with a Catholic bishop, a Mormon bishop, and a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, over 12 Chabads. But when it came time to file on May 8, after Governor Newsom did not consider churches to be essential, so we filed on the same day that he made that declarative speech and stand. And so it came down to just me and the Jewish rabbi, because the Catholic bishop backed out and the Mormon bishop didn't commit. And then the next day I get a call that the Jewish rabbi's backed out. And now it's only me. You want to go forward with this? You okay being alone? I said, well, I'm kind of used to being alone in situations like this before. Are you okay? They said, we're okay. We only need one to win. We think you're the one. I said, let's go forward. Who would have dreamed that from the date of filing, in only 15 days, we'd be standing before the Supreme Court of the United States of America with a case being considered? We would not get a favorable ruling on that emergency injunction, but we're kicked back now to the Ninth Circuit Court where our case is gaining momentum. We have a hearing coming up August 12. You can pray toward that. But who would have seen these things coming into this year? Nobody would have seen these things on the horizon. Only to see our nation devolve in a rapid downward spiral into protests in cities across America. Racial unrest, riots, looting, vandalizing, burning, destroying, killing. I want to remind you that it is the devil who comes to steal, 
kill, and destroy. It's the work of the enemy that does that. I want to also remind you that racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. It's a sin problem. You cannot be a racist and go to heaven. You cannot be a racist and be saved. It is impossible because God has created all of us of one blood, the Bible says, and now he's baptized all of us with one spirit. Praise God. Hallelujah. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. In Christ, we are all one in Christ. And the more like God we become, the less we look at the outward and the more we look to the inward of individuals. The more we look to their potential and not to their problems. And so you see, the world will not have the answer for the problems it's facing today. There are no answers. There are no political answers. There are no policing answers. There are no military answers. There are no legal answers. None of the answers that the world has at their disposal can resolve this problem because it's not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. The only answer is a spiritual answer. And so the only place the world can look to find those answers is to the church of the living God, praise God. His Word and His Spirit has the answer for the world today. We're in these end times. We're in the very end of times. The church that Jesus Christ came to establish, as he said, on a rock will not be moved. In fact, he said the very gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. No matter how trying these times get, don't worry about the church. The church is going to be just fine. The church is going to be just fine. The church is not going down. The church is not going down. The only direction the church is going is up. The church is going up. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Church is going up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, I predict the church is going up and the church is growing out. Our churches are going to double. Baptisms are going to double. Holy Ghost infillings are going to double. Salvations are going to double. This congregation is going to double. Church is going up. It's going up. Praise God. Hallelujah. But I remind you we're in the very end of times. The church that Jesus established first mentioned in the Bible, the word church first mentioned in the Bible in the Gospel of Matthew when he said, I build it on the rock of Revelation. That church's last mention on earth is in Revelation chapter 3 because the church is going up. Chapter 4 is probably where the church gets raptured and the church is not seen on earth again. We're in the last days. Here's what Amos 8 and 11 prophesied a tiny little book called Amos in the Old Testament. Can't even find it unless you look at the index as to where it's at, unless you've memorized all these books in order. But little Amos said in 8.11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord." Let me tell you, spiritually speaking, that's exactly where we are today. That's how and that's why America is in the condition it finds itself today. Because there's been a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Our key text and story is in Genesis chapter 26. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down 
into Egypt, but dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. By the way, he's talking to Isaac here in Genesis 26, the promised son of Abraham. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed, he's talking to Isaac, I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. He's telling Isaac, the promises I gave your father will be your promises. If you'll believe me like your father believed me, if you'll trust my word like your father trusted my word, you will inherit those promises. Verse 4, And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And by the way, the whole world is blessed by the descendants of Abraham and Isaac because it's the Jews that gave us the world's greatest book called the Bible. Every ghost writer of the Bible is of Jewish descent or Jewish heritage or lineage. Every single one of them. It's the Jews that gave this world or introduced to this world the greatest man who ever lived. And that's the man who was God incarnate in flesh, Jesus Christ, but born of a Jewish mother. And it's the Jews that gave this world the greatest institution ever known to mankind called the church. Because the first church birth in Acts chapter 2 started with an outpouring on the Jews. So this has been fulfilled. He says, verse 5, Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. The word Gerar means a valley. He was dwelling in a valley. Now there's an incredible test that's taking place here in Genesis 26. We need to recognize that. No doubt Isaac knew well the promises God had made to Abraham, his father. But he had not yet seen them come to pass. And now he receives his own word that he now is part of those same promises and that many of them will be fulfilled with him, with Isaac, if he believes God like his father Abraham believed God. Now, the problem is the assurance of this comes at the worst possible time. It comes during the world's greatest famine. In fact, it says there had not been a famine like this since the days of his father Abraham. The two worst famines in the history of mankind. And in the middle of that second famine, Isaac receives this, this word. It's almost like it's arrived too late. It's arrived too late. But Isaac shows us what to do in perilous times. Isaac teaches by example what we are to do when it's the worst of times. It's the worst of times, it's the best of times. Well, we know what to do in the best of times, but what do you do in the worst of times? Lust farmlands had turned into arid wastelands. Sparkling streams and placid ponds became dry riverbeds and parched dust bowls. Drought brings famine. Famine brings disease. Disease brings death. And they're all caught in this vicious vortex of despair, an inescapable downward spiral of death. The only one left alive 
No one left alive, rather, had ever seen it on this wise. Commerce ground to a halt. The economy was non-existent. I know it sounds like I'm talking about 2020 right now, but I'm actually talking about Genesis 26. Discipline had dissipated. Vanity was vanquished. Morale was a morass. The news was predictively re, uh, was repetitively predictable. Hope had haplessly vaporized. Hoarding, hoarding was no longer considered a selfish act because survival had become the only item left on anyone's daily agenda. And every day grew only hotter and drier and dustier. Day faded into day, week into week, month into month. Historically, history shows this was the worst famine in more than 100 years. And the famine before it was the worst ever. It was the worst on record since the year 2010. But that's 2010 B.C. It was the year his father had talked about. He called it, they called it the mother of all famines. But he remembered his father talking about something else also. How that he knew a God that nobody else knew. Now this actually was rather difficult to believe during this time in particular. Seeing as how there were so many gods that man had already discovered. They had sun gods and moon gods and star gods and water gods and land gods and animal gods and sky gods and rain gods and rainbow gods and mountain gods and jungle gods and valley gods and, and, and ocean gods. And it, it just, the, the list just seemed endless. In fact, one single religion claimed to have found and identified more than 2,000 gods and they had names for each one of them. These gods would visibly appear in every imaginable form, having been fashioned out of everything from straw to wood to clay to stone to brass to silver to gold to precious jewels of every imaginable variety, shape, size, and color. Oh, you need a god? We've got a god for you. But his father his father had the audacity to claim he knew a God no one else knew. And not only that, he had the gall to declare that that God had told him that he was the only real God. That every other God was fake news. But he was the only real God. That's his dad. Out of step with his times. In disagreement with the professors. Arguing with the historians, that was his dad. And his dad claimed that while every other God was man-made, his God made man. Can you imagine that? Everyone knew that every other God and image was man-made, but he claimed to know a God who actually made man. That elevated it to a whole new level. Because his father did not just believe in a God, his father believed God. What a difference in believing in a God and actually believing God. He believed this God so much that when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. He went out not knowing whither he went. He just followed the promise and the voice of God. And Scripture records by faith. 
He sojourned. That means he lived. He dwelt. He planted roots. He stayed there. He said, I'm not moving. Come hell or high water. This is where God planted me. This is where he wants me to be. This is where I'll be. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. People are saying times are tough. I'm going to find some place that it's easier. There's no jobs. I'm going to find a job somewhere else. Uh, You can't afford a house here. I'm going to move to another state. I'm not satisfied with this state. It's falling apart. But he sojourned in the land that God had brought him because it was the land of God's promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with the heirs with him of the same promise for he looked for a city whose foundation and whose builder and maker was God. Isaac is running this through his mind like a tape recorder as he is in the mother of all famines. His dad has long since passed away. He's gone. He doesn't have his father there to counsel him. But he's reminiscing the stories of his father. And his heart quickens with the realization that he is heir to these same promises. The promise that the one true God would bless him. The promise that that one true God would make of him a blessing. And the promise of that one true God that whoever blessed him would be blessed. And whoever cursed him would be cursed. His father is gone. He's passed away. But he handed down to his son faith in these promises. But a faith that's now being sorely tried in the mother of all famines. Which looks like anything but a blessing at this point. No doubt. No doubt, he's human. Isaac begins questioning these things. I mean, think about it. He couldn't go talk to his pastor. He didn't have one. He couldn't go to church and be encouraged. He didn't have one. Where could he go? He couldn't open the Bible and say, I'm going to read the good word of God. He didn't have one. Think about it. Think about it. All he had was the faith passed to him from his father. And now, a word from God for himself that he's part of this the worst of times, the worst of times, the worst of times, the worst of times. Amazing, simply amazing. When you think about his father, Abram, who became later renamed Abraham, think about his father, and you're going to see how tenuous the faith of Isaac was. His father, Abram, was actually born to an idol maker, In a polytheistic world, that means they worship many gods. Not only had his father embraced that, he literally was making idols and making a living and a fortune off of facilitating that. How can this be? His father, Abram's father, was only ten generations removed from Noah. Yes, that Noah. The Noah whose generation became so wicked, God decided to destroy it. Jesus Christ multiple times in the New Testament cites Noah and that wicked generation as being like the generation of the end times, the generation you and I are living in today. But that's amazing. Only 10 generations from Noah, Terah is born. Kind of sounds like Tehran. I don't know if there's a connection there or not. But Terah is born in a polytheistic world, an idol maker, a father of three sons, one of whom is named Abram. Abram, better known to us as Abraham, was born 292 years after the flood. Less than 300 years after the flood, the world by and large has again left following 
the ways of God. I thought of that and I thought, you know, kind of like America, the first and only nation that's in existence today that was founded as a Christian nation. You could go to Jamestown tonight. They, it's the first permanent settlement in America. They're doing an ongoing excavation. I've been there. I've taken pictures. I've talked to them. And it's an amazing and fascinating thing. The first permanent settlement of America. And they, they've built a replica of Jamestown as how it was back in the days that it was the first permanent settlement here in America. And in that, in that Jamestown settlement, they've reconstructed the church, the first church, of the first permanent settlement in America. And hanging on the wall, as you walk in the little entry of that little church, there's a plaque with a verse of scripture on it, and it says this, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2, 38. That's the only verse hanging on the wall of the entry to that little chapel. I told that story at different meetings and conferences and what have you, and a couple of pastors from another state called me once. They said, hey, Brother Hodges, we heard your story. We went, and, and that plaque wasn't there. I said, well, it is there. I have pictures of it. And they said, we can't find it anywhere. So my dad was going to be traveling, and he wanted to visit that village. I said, Dad, I said, these preachers have told me they can't find that plaque. Find it, take a picture. And he did. It was there. And, and so he asked, the, uh, he asked the guides there. He said, is there ever a time that you've not had this on the wall? They said, yeah, we took it down for several months. We had people, you know, contesting why that's the verse we had hanging on the wall. And, and, uh, and, and some of them were clergy, so, so we, we took it down. We don't know why they didn't like that verse being the one chosen to hang on the wall. And uh, my dad said, well, you've put it back up. They said, yes, we have. They said, you know, we had a lot of discussion, but we finally concluded this. We're archaeologists. We're historians. We're not theologians. We have no idea why they would protest that verse, but we have determined historically and through archaeological digs, that's the verse that was hanging on the wall. We don't know why it is, but that is the verse that was hanging on the wall of the first permanent settlement church in America. It's going to stay there. Sown into the DNA of America is a strain of apostolic truth and doctrine and experience, praise God. No wonder America has been more greatly blessed than any other nation on the face of the earth. But here we are, less than 300 years since the founding of America. And like Noah and like Abraham, the world has turned away from the ways of God, our world, our country, our nation. But in Genesis 9 and 28, it says this, And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. And the next verse, verse 29, All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And I discovered in reading this how Isaac came to have such faith and belief. How? from Abraham, and how Abram, born to a father who was an idol worshiper, ten generations removed from Noah, how Abram could come to know the one true living God. I got a hold of an ancient Jewish writing, extra-biblical history, that shares that Abram spent time with Noah and Shem. You see, Abram was 58 years old when Noah died. And this ancient Jewish writing says, for 39 years, Abram lived with Noah 
and with sham. And they trained him and they taught him. And so though ten generations later there would be a, a, a man born, born into a family and with a father that was a, 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 an idol maker, but yet they put something in his heart. They planted a seed of truth there that when God looked for a righteous man on earth from which to bring a holy nation, he found Abram, taught by Noah, taught by Shem, and he kept that righteous line going. Hallelujah. Thank God for fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers that plant a seed of truth in the hearts and lives of sons and daughters and grandsons and great-grandchildren. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've been praying prayers around our church for some time. God, we're in a very busy intersection. We're right in the middle of town and a lot of traffic. And we're praying, God, just draw hungry people into this church. Just draw hungry people. we got a bus stop literally right in front of our church. Is a bus stop. The bus has stopped there I don't know how many times a day, 20, 30 times a day. And I'm praying early morning. I'm saying, God, people are driving on that bus. Just let something reach out from this church house and draw them into this church. Amen. And just a few months ago, a young man came in off that bus name is Darren. God got a hold of his heart, filled him with the Holy Ghost. And I, and I said, Darren, I said, I said, who brought you to church? He said, nobody brought me to church. He said, I ride the number, whatever bus, 247. I don't know what, I forget the number. He said, I ride that bus to and from work every day. That bus stops right there at this church. Every day I look at your sign, Pentecostal Church. I watch the message going on the board, Pentecostal Church. And every day something reaches out to me and says, you need to visit that church. You need to visit that church. You need to visit that church. You know what's reaching out to them? It's the prayers going forth in that church for the people in that city, praise God. Saying, draw hungry people, draw thirsty souls, praise God. Hallelujah. He said, and so finally I said, I'm going to come visit that church. And the Holy Ghost fell on him and he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence speaking with other tongues. Hallelujah. I said, Darren, do you even know what Pentecost is? He said, no, I really don't. I really don't. He said, but the name Pentecost did intrigue me. i got to tell you that. He said, because I've gotten, I forget, it was a grandmother or great-grandmother in Jamaica. And she was Pentecostal. I don't even know what it means, but I had a grandmother, a great-grandmother. that was I'll guarantee you, I don't know who she is, but she was praying prayers for Darren. Praise God. God, bring him to truth. God, lead him to truth. And God answers prayers like that. He answers your prayers like that. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. And so in Genesis 26, our chapter of choice tonight, verse 2, the Lord appeared to him, said, Go not down to Egypt, but dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Egypt's a type of the world. He's saying, don't go into the world for your answers. The world will never supply the needs of a child of God. And so suddenly we see, there's an incredible picture in Genesis 26. We see from these worst of times, famine of all famines, mother of all famines, we see a lone figure emerging from the scene of despair in Genesis 26. He slowly comes into focus. He doesn't really fit the scene. He's an anomaly. He's a misplaced character. He looks rather otherworldly in stark contrast to his surroundings. And here's why. He's doing something you're just not supposed to be doing when you're in the middle of a famine. He doesn't fit the paradigm. He's going against conventional wisdom. He, he's, he's, he's disregarding common sense and human logic. He's supposed to be in survival mode because it's the mother of all famines. But in verse 26, chapter 26, verse 12, in the first part of verse 12, it says this. 
Then Isaac sowed in that land. You get this? It's famine time. It's the time to conserve. It's the time to reserve. It's the time to hoard. It's just survival mode. But there's a lone figure that goes against all convention. And in verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land. When others were moving, he was staying. When logic said you should be conserving, he was sowing more seed. When others are eating from their stores for their own self-preservation, he's spreading it abroad. He's broadcasting seed upon the sun-hardened, unproductive, famished ground. When everyone else was looking for their answers in Egypt, Isaac sowed in a time of famine because he had a promise. When everyone else was giving up, Isaac was sowing in a time of famine. When everyone else was going broke, Isaac was sowing in the time time of famine. When everyone else was hoarding what little they had, Isaac was sowing in the time of famine. When the people all around him were losing everything they had worked for, Isaac was sowing in the time of famine. And when others said the land will not produce anything anymore, Isaac kept sowing in the land in the time of famine. He sowed seed in the time of famine with nothing to encourage his efforts except God's promise and God's word. God said, if you stay, I'll bless you. If you'll sow, I'll bless you. If you'll trust me, I'll bless you. If you'll hold to my promises, I will bless you. God sent me here tonight to tell this church, God will bless you in the time of famine, in your worst hour, in your darkest night, when nothing looks right. God will bless you. He's given you a promise. Hold on to that promise. He's given you a word. Hold on to that word. Walk in the word of God. Walk in the ways of God. He will bless you if you'll sow in the time of famine. Hallelujah. God is not limited. God is not limited. I said yesterday, God never makes a mistake. He is not limited and He is not governed by deficiency, by employment, by economy. God never hits Himself in the head and says, Oh, myself, what am I going to do? He knows the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. Why? Why would Isaac do such a thing? Why would Isaac take such a risk? Why is he sowing in the time of famine when nobody else is? Because he had a promise. Because he believed the promise. Because he believed the promise maker. And because he believed he truly was a promise keeper. Because he not only knew the law of the harvest, that if you sow, you'll reap. He actually knew the Lord of the harvest. Praise God. He knew the law maker. He knew the law giver. And the Lord of the harvest had said, if you sow, you shall reap. 
He didn't say if you sow in good times only, you'll reap. If you sow when you've got plenty, you'll reap. If you sow when everybody else is sowing, you'll reap. If you sow when the newspapers tell you to sow, you'll reap. If you sow when the government tells you to sow, you'll reap. No, he just said, if you sow, you shall reap. And Isaac believed that so much that in the worst of times, he said, I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going out to sow some seed. I'm going to go sow some seed. Oh, he's ridiculed by his neighbors. He may be questioned by his own family members. What are you doing? Where are you going? You better stay inside. You're going to burn up. You're going to die. You're going to hydrate. But all he had was a promise. If you sow, you'll reap. I'm going to go sow some more seed. I'm going to sow some more seed. He standed and walked in the promise of God. He didn't just believe in God. He believed God. The Lord of the harvest said, What you sow you will reap. The Lord of the harvest said, the more you sow, the more you will reap. The Lord of the harvest said, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you don't quit sowing, if you faint not, if you don't turn back, you will reap. He believed God. He believed the Lord of the harvest when he said, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Hallelujah. He believed God. No wonder Isaac is called literally the son of promise. He's called the son of promise. This is the same Isaac that when he was a boy, Abraham took him to the top of Mount Moriah. He built an altar He laid Isaac on the altar. He brought the wood. He brought the fire. But his men down at the bottom of the hill and his boy, but where's the sacrifice? And he prophetically says, the Lord God will provide himself a sacrifice. And he did. But when he told those men holding the donkeys down there at the bottom of the hill to wait, He said, the lad, talk about Isaac, my boy and I, we're going to the top of that mountain. When we preach this story, we talk about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. God actually never called it a sacrifice, but God did call it an offering. He said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, your promised son, Isaac. You take him to the top of that mountain and you offer him there to me. But Abraham never called it a sacrifice. Abraham never called it an offering. Abraham called it worship, worship, worship. When you know God has brought you from such a mighty long way, when you know God himself dug you from the miry pit of clay, hallelujah, when you know you were beyond, you were beyond the measure of grace that you deserved, but God still loved you and had mercy upon you and extended his grace toward you, when you know that, you can't call anything a sacrifice that he asks of you. You can't even call it an offering. You just got to call it worship. Worship, 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 worship. You worship at his feet, praise God, as you lay your treasured possessions down before him, not wanting anything in return, not wanting any recognition. I just want to worship you, Jesus. I want to worship you, God. Hallelujah. Abraham called it worship. The second clue we have, and I'm going to try to bring this to a close here, but the second clue we have is to why God chose Abraham. It's found in Genesis 26, 
Genesis 26, verse 5. He said, Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. But here's the deal. God already knew, or had faith at least, in Abraham that he would do that before he actually did it. Because in Genesis 18, 19, here's what God says concerning Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. God evaluates us based on what we pass on to our children. God takes Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way that should go quite seriously. On the birth date of the church, my favorite verse in the Bible, actually Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that this is that experience, but it's followed in the very next verse by saying, and this promise is not just for you, it's for your children. It's for your children. And as the song says, they're children too, praise God. He evaluates us based on us passing, passing it on. Amen. Ron Abbott's known for many things, many, many, many things. We heard all about a lot of those things, animals and motorcycles and boats and snow skis and adventures and travel and business and softball and athletics and all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, that's not the thing he'll be remembered for. In fact, all of those things right now are in process of being just dispersed and dispensed with, and, and they're, 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 they're just all going to be gone. But there's one thing that defines Ron Abbott that's not going to be dispensed and dispersed and done away with. And you saw it here tonight on the platform singing praise, and you saw it this morning on the platform singing praise, and you saw it yesterday with some young people standing in this platform and testifying that what their father, their grandfather, their great-grandfather had put in them, it lives on. It lives on. It lives on. It lives on. I, hear, I came here tonight to bring a word of encouragement to somebody. Don't be discouraged. Father, mother with a wayward child, don't be discouraged. I know it's disappointing. I know it's disheartening. But don't let it discourage you. Keep your courage. Keep your faith. Keep your trust. Keep praying. Keep sowing in tears. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Weeping endureth but for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Hallelujah. Joy cometh in the morning. Keep sowing in times of famine. When you're hurt the most, keep praying. When you hurt the most, keep giving. When you hurt the most, keep going. Hallelujah. Keep sowing, sowing, sowing in tears. If you sow in tears, you're going to reap 
enjoy. In times of famine, don't quit coming to church. You come to church more than you ever have before. In time of famine, don't quit reading the Word. You get in God's Word every day and read it more than you ever have before. In time of famine, don't quit praying. You get on your knees and pray three times a day more than you ever have before. Amen. Because we've got the promise. If you'll sow, if you'll sow during famine time, you shall reap an eternal harvest. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I started reading to you from Tale of Two Cities, and I'm going to conclude reading to you one sentence that's my favorite sentence in the entire book by Charles Dickens, Tale of Two Cities. And it really answers the question as to what we are to do in perilous times and where we go from here. Listen carefully to these words. Here's what he said. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. I don't think Charles Dickens was a preacher, but he's preaching tonight. He's closing a sermon tonight on what we're to do when it's the worst of times to turn that into a best of times. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. Let me tell you something. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar in just a moment. Don't do it yet. In just a moment. And practice space distancing and all that stuff. But let me tell you something. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And how do we hear it except by the preacher that God sends? Now, the preacher God sent to this church is your pastor. There's no other preacher God has sent to this church. But the preacher that he sent to the pulpit just for tonight, this little snapshot of time, is me. And I'm bringing you a word, fitly spoken, to help you. And God has talked to your hearts. As I've been preaching, God has been talking to each individual. You have personalized different parts of this message. You said, Boy, that was for me, that was for me, that was for me. And it was, and it is. And when you come to this altar, that word, the seed, mixed with faith, your response, and the Spirit of God watering, the Spirit of God is all over this place. In a moment, it's going to break loose in prayer and praise and all of that. And that is going to create some new life in you. Where you've been discouraged, you're going to be encouraged. Where you felt hopeless, you're going to feel hope. Where you felt like it's just the darkest of the night, you're going to see a little glimmer of light. Because of the power of God's Word and God's Spirit being mixed together in faith in you. And when that happens, God is going to start speaking to you personally. He, he, he may or may not speak in an audible voice, probably not. But He will speak into your spirit. God is a spirit, so He readily communicates with our spirit. That's how He talks to you. He says, well, how does God talk to you? In the spirit, because God's spirit. Okay? He didn't have flesh and bones. took it on in Jesus Christ. But, but God, in His pure essence, doesn't have flesh and bones. And so He speaks in the spirit. He's going to speak some things to you in your spirit. Now let me tell you something very carefully. And then I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. The things God speaks to your spirit when you're in this atmosphere, at this church, in this altar, when you know God's speaking to you, do not ever reconsider that. Do not ever reconsider that. You want to know how people, like a Ron Abbott, you want to know how people go through things in life 
tragedy and situations, like a Pastor John Coopley losing his... You, you want to know how people go through that and, and they still are standing for God? It's because of what I just said. God has spoke things into their spirit when they're in an atmosphere and presence of the Lord at an altar. And when God speaks, you say, I'm never going to reconsider that. You're going to be tempted to, when you're in the mother of all famines, oh yeah, you're going to be tempted to reconsider those things. You know Isaac raced all that through his mind like, Man, are these promises really real? I mean, after all, my dad's like the only guy in the whole world that says there's just one God, you know, and that that guy, I mean, he, he, he's, he's running all that through his mind. But at the end of the day, he had committed to himself. When I'm in my right mind, and that's when you're the power of the Holy Ghost, you're never more in your right mind than when you're praying in the Holy Ghost. When you are praying and praying through, you are praying in tongues, you're never more in your right mind than at that very moment. And when you make decisions, young people, young men, young ladies, when God speaks to your spirit, and God says, that is not the right one for you. There's, there's no basis for that. There's no, there's, no, there's no evidence for that. But just God speaking in your spirit, you better take that to the bank. God loves you enough to give you a personal word. And don't you reconsider that. No matter what anybody else says, you say, God gave me a promise. God spoke to me. Praise God. I'm going to hold on to that promise of God. These altars are open. You're welcome to respond to the preaching of God's word, the spirit of God's word. Seek God. Let him solidify this. Speak to your heart, to your life personally right now. In Jesus' name. Promise keeper, you will never fail. Your love is true. Promise Keeper, you deliver on your word, and I will trust you. You never lie, you never lie. You see my need, you hear my cry. You never fail. You never fail, you never have, you never will, your word remains forever, promise keeper, you will never fail, your love is true promise keeper you deliver on your word and I will trust you promise keeper you will never fail your love is true Promise keeper, you will never fail. Your love is true. You never sleep, you never sleep. You keep your hand and your eye on me. You always will, you always will. You're faithful now, you were faithful then. 
your word remains forever. Promise keeper, you will never fail. Your love is true. Promise keeper, you deliver on your word, and I will trust you. What lies behind me, I will forget. I'm pressing into what lies ahead. Never let go, your promises, you will deliver, just like you said, what lies behind me, I will forget, I'm pressing into what lies ahead, never let go. Your promises, you will deliver, just like you said, you never fail, you never will, you will deliver, just like you said, never let go. Your promises, you will deliver, just like you said. And promise keeper, you will never fail. Your love is true. Promise keeper, you deliver on your word and I will trust you you are here moving in our midst I worship you, I worship you, you are here, rearranging destinies, I worship you, I worship you, that's why we say way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. 
worker, miracle worker, Come on, promise raise your hands. keeper, raise light in the darkness, my God, God that is who you are. Begin to magnify. Hallelujah. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God that is who you are. 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 Come on, I feel a refreshing of the Holy Ghost. That in is this house. who you are. Lift up your voice towards heaven. Let God give you strength. Let that God is who faith you in are. your spirit. Hallelujah. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, never stop working. 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 Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. You never stop. Never stop working, never stop, never stop working, never stop, never stop working.
Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to one more time just stretch your hand towards heaven. Just love on him right now. Just worship him right now. His desire is for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Let the true worshipers arise tonight. from God tonight I preached last two Sundays first was the power of the seed I think two weeks ago and then I think I preached what do these stones mean because there's coming a time when our children are going to ask daddy what do these stones mean the seeds that you plant that's why the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old, that shall not depart from it's that seed. There's a power in that seed. Never stop believing in the power. Nobody's too far gone. Because all it takes is one divine encounter. One walk on the road to Damascus. Just takes one Holy Ghost encounter. We got to carry this on. I've told you that we only have a little space of time left. And we've got to be about the Father's business. Well, what's the Father's business? It's loving. He said, The way you are known as my disciples is that you have loved one another. We got to be about loving. And serving. Because the grace of the kingdom is not the one with the big old title, but it's the servant of all. And we had a master servant that paved the way. And we are here today to carry it on. Because one of these days we're going to stand before him, Sister Marjorie. And when he says, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. We get to run to the ones that have already made it. Those witnesses that are all around us. Thank you for the word, Brother Hodges. But my charge to you is don't stop believing and don't stop praying and don't stop throwing out seed because you'll never know. I read... On Facebook, not a lot of good stuff on Facebook, but there, there was this one good thing on Facebook. This preacher on a preacher's forum said he was in the Starbucks drive through and somebody cut him off and got in front of him. They were laughing, making jokes. There's four of them in there. 
And he said, you know what? I'm going to pay for their drinks. He pays for their drinks. And the guys quickly open their door and say, I am so sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Pulls up to the window. And the lady said, did you know those guys? He said, no. She said, they were so rude to me. She said, why would you buy their drinks? He says, because I've got to love. And I've got to throw seed. We have no time to get bitter. No time to get offended. You've got to have a clean heart and a good spirit. And throw out seeds of love. Because if you throw it out, guess what? It's coming back. God, we love you. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. I'm praying, God, that we'd all arise tonight and we'd leave this field and become sowers. And we throw that seed out to our family and our friends, our neighbor, our coworkers, everybody we come in contact with. Let us begin to scream, Come see a man that has told me all that I've ever known. Let's be about your business. I'm praying for favor. I'm praying for anointing. I'm praying for wisdom beyond their own understanding. By the power of their thoughts in the name of Jesus, we give you praise tonight. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord? God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you, Brother Hodges. Timely word.